Tonight, God's Word comes to us from the prophet Amos, and we're going to read tonight just from Amos chapter 7, 17 verses of that chapter. I would encourage you to keep your Bibles open this evening. We'll be looking at a number of texts before we look particularly at chapter 7 of Amos. Amos 7, beginning at verse 1, what we hear now is God's word. This is what the Lord God showed me. Behold, he was forming locusts when the latter growth had, was just beginning to sprout. And behold, it was the latter growth after the king's mowings. When they had finished eating the grass of the land, I said, O oh, Lord God, please forgive. How can Jacob stand? He is so small. The Lord relented concerning this. It shall not be, said the Lord. This is what the Lord God showed me. Behold, the Lord God was calling for a judgment by fire, and it devoured the great deep and was eating up the land. Then I said, O oh, Lord God, please cease. How can Jacob stand? He is so small. The Lord relented concerning this. This also shall not be said the Lord God. This is what he showed me. Behold, the Lord was standing beside a wall built with a plumb line, with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord said to me, Amos, what do you see? And I said, a plumb line. Then the Lord said, behold, I am setting a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. I will never again pass by them. The high places of Isaac shall be made desolate, and the sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid waste, and I will rise against the house of Jeroboam with the sword. Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent to Jeroboam, king of Israel, saying, Amos has conspired against you in the midst of the house of Israel. The land is not able to bear all his words. For thus Amos has said, Jeroboam shall die by the sword, and Israel must go into exile away from his land. And Amaziah said to Amos, Go, O seer, go. Flee away to the land of Judah, and eat bread there, and prophesy there. But never again prophesy at Bethel, for it is the king's sanctuary. It is a temple of the kingdom. Then Amos answered and said to Amaziah, I was no prophet, nor a prophet's son, but I was a herdsman and a dresser of sycamore figs. But the Lord took me from following the flock, and the Lord said to me, Go, prophesy to my people Israel. Now therefore hear the word of the Lord. You say, Do not prophesy against Israel, and do not preach against the house of Isaac. Therefore, thus says the Lord, your wife shall be a prostitute in the city, and your sons and your daughters shall fall by the sword, and your land shall be divided up with a measuring line. You yourself shall die in an unclean land, and Israel shall surely go into exile away from its land. Here we end the reading of God's holy word. Well, we come tonight to the third of the Minor Prophets in our series on the Minor Prophets. 
Maybe you remember, kids, the first minor prophet was Hosea, the prophet of God's love. And we had in Hosea that picture of marriage given to us. Uh, last time, it was Joel, the prophet of God's judgment. And we talked about God sending locusts as a judgment upon his people. That's mentioned in our text tonight again, too, God sending locusts. Tonight, we come to Amos. And I'm suggesting Amos is the prophet of God's justice. For God will come and judge his people for their lack of justice shown in the land. This is a beautiful book. I don't know if you've read the book of Amos before coming tonight. Only nine chapters. A beautifully structured book. Um, many pictures in the book. And really, chapter 7 is the heart of the message of the book. Uh, Amos was a prophet from Judah who came to Israel to call God's people to just living, for they lacked that justice. I say it's a beautifully structured book in that God comes and warns them of his coming judgment. In Amos chapter 1, we have this familiar refrain that is said. Uh, in chapter 1, verse 3, it says this, Thus says the Lord, For three sins of Damascus and for four, I will not revoke the punishment. And then again in chapter 1, verse 6, For three sins of Gaza and for four, I will not revoke the punishment. And again in verse 9 of that same chapter, Thus says the Lord, For three sins of Tyre and for four, I will not revoke punishment. And again in verse 11, for three sins of Edom and for four, I will not revoke punishment. And again in verse 13, for three transgressions of the Ammonites and for four, I will not revoke the punishment. Now if you looked at those places on a map, you would see what Amos is doing is he is really drawing a circle around the land of Israel. These places are to the north and to the south, to the east, near the west, lower west. He's, he's highlighting, yes, God's judgment will come to the nations, but it will come to the people of God as well. And we get there in chapter 2. In chapter 2, verse 4, thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Judah and for four, I will not revoke my punishment. And then in verse 6, thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Israel and for four, I will not revoke my punishment. God coming to judge his people. Yes, the nations around would face the judgment, but he encircles Israel, speaks of Judah, and then directly to Israel themselves. For three transgressions, even for four, I will not withhold my judgment. Chapters 3 and 4 go on to be the witnesses against Israel, the charges against Israel. And in chapters 5 and 6, we have the call to repentance. And then we get to chapter 7, where it really is the heart of the message. In chapter 7, the warning of what would happen to them if they would not repent, if they would not return. And here we have three visions given to us of God's judgment that would come upon them. God comes through Amos to speak to Israel. Now what was going on in Israel at the time when Amos comes to prophesy? 
Well, if, if you looked at Israel, you'd say, this is a time of prosperity. This is a time of blessing. They had a very um, robust economic system. In, in chapter 6, go look at chapter 6, verse 4. We read there, there are those who lie on beds of ivory and stretch them out, themselves out on their couches. They eat lambs from the flock and calves from the midst of the stall who sing idle songs to the song of the harp like David, inventor, themselves music, uh, instruments for music, who drink wine in bowls and anoint themselves with the finest oils. It was a time of opulence. It was a time of, of economic superiority. Everything was going great. If you looked at Israel, you'd say, this is not a time for judgment. Look at how God is blessing them. Look at all the things that they have. A time of economic prosperity, a time of political stability. Israel at this point is free from the oppression of their neighbors. They are not at war. They are secure. Their borders are safe. Looking at them, you'd say, everything's fine. Why? Why now would God come with this message of judgment? It was their lack of justice. Lack of concern for those around them. Go back to chapter 2. And in chapter 2, verse 6. Chapter 2, verse 6, we read this. Thus says the Lord, For three transgressions of Israel and for four I will not revoke the punishment because they sell the righteous for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. Those who trample the head of the poor into the dust of the earth and turn aside the way of the afflicted. They were not concerned about each other. There was no social justice. Yes, there was this opulence, this wealth, but it was for the rich only. They were not concerned about a sense of care for those who were downtrodden. In fact, they would sell them if it worked well for them. No sense of social concern for one another. It was a time of immorality going on in verse 7. Chapter 2, a man and his father go into the same girl, and so that my holy name is profaned. And they lay themselves down besides every altar on garments taken in pledge. And in the house of their God, they drink the wine of those who they have fined. It was a time of immorality, of debauchery. They were not living according to God's righteous standards. They were living however they felt. Again, from chapter 4, chapter 4, verse 4 and 5, it was a time of idolatry. Verse 4, come to Bethel, that's where they should worship, kids. Come to Bethel and transgress to Gilgal and multiply transgressions. Bring your sacrifices every morning and your tithes every three days. Offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving of that which is leavened and proclaim freewill offerings. Publish them, for so you love to do, O people of Israel. They were trying to fulfill the external requirements of the law. They were still bringing their gifts, but without any internal heart of love for God and for His ways. It was a time of injustice, social injustice, immorality, idolatry in the land of Israel, idolatry within the people of God. And it is in this situation that God comes with, with these three visions of judgment in chapter 7, the heart of this prophecy. The first vision. This is what the Lord God showed me. 
Behold, he was forming locusts when the latter growth was just beginning to sprout. And behold, it was the latter growth after the king's mowing. Well, kids, last time we talked about locusts. What locusts would do. How they would come in and like an army, they would eat up all the crops. Some coming flying, some coming walking. The adult ones, the little ones, eating up everything. God says, I will send the locust. I am forming the locust to come and to be a judgment upon you. And notice what he says, just after the king's mowing. You see, it was the practice at the time that the first uh, cutting of the crop belonged to the king. And so these locusts are going to come not before the king's share, but right after the king's share, right when they can start to see the benefits of their, crop, of their crops. That's when the locusts come. I guess it'd be something like, uh, like us today. Maybe some of you are aware of the phrase uh, Tax Freedom Day. Tax Freedom Day is the day of the year when if we had to pay all of our taxes up front, it would take us this long to pay them. Now, we don't do that. We pay them over time. But if we had to pay all our taxes up front on Tax Freedom Day, the next day we'd start earning money for ourselves. Just in case you're wondering, this year, Tax Freedom Day was only 10 days ago. It was the 22nd of May. Up till that point, you were working for the government. All your money going to them. So imagine, imagine if that was our system. We finally get to Tax Freedom Day. It's May 22. And on May 23, when I can finally start earning money for myself, I lose my job. I just was going to start making some money. And now I can't. That's when the locusts come. The king's mowing had been done. And now they could finally start to see the benefit of the produce of the land, and that's when God sends the judgment. And so, so Amos calls out, when they had finished eating the grass of the land, I said, oh Lord God, please forgive. How can Jacob stand? He is so small. How can we get along? How can we make it? He calls out to God. And the Lord relented concerning this. It shall not be, said the Lord. God relents from sending this judgment upon the people. But he gives a second vision. This is what the Lord God showed me. Behold, the Lord God was calling for a judgment by fire. And it devoured the great deep and was eating up the land. This judgment by fire is even worse than the previous one. Yes, the locust would come and they would eat up all the crops, but when the fire comes, God says it will be a fire so severe it will even eat up the land and it will even eat up the water. An, an escalation in the judgment that is coming. And so once again, the prophet calls out, Oh, Lord God, please cease. How can Jacob stand? He is so small. How could we stand against such a great judgment, even worse than the last one? And once again, the Lord relented concerning this. This also shall not be, 
said the Lord God. He relented in sending his judgment once again. And then we have the third vision. This is what he showed me. Behold, the Lord was standing beside a wall built with a plumb line, with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord said to me, Amos, what do you see? And I said, a plumb line. Now, kids, I don't know if you know what a plumb line is. A plumb line is a piece of string with a heavy weight at the bottom of it. And so if you held that piece of string with a heavy weight really, really still, it would tell you if something was straight. So this pulpit, if I put it right up next to it and I hold it really, really still, we can see that it was built nice and straight because that line goes straight up and down like the plumb line. A plumb line was used in construction to make sure walls were built perfectly straight. Houses built straight, buildings built straight. You hold up a plumb line because it gave a perfect, true, straight line that was used to build things. And it's in this third vision that God engages in conversation with the prophet. Perhaps because, because the, uh, the image isn't so clear. Locust as judgment, that's clear. We know about that. Fire as judgment, that's clear. We know about that. But, but now he sees a plumb line. And God says, what do you see? And Amos says, I see a plumb line. And we read in verse 8, God's word. Behold, I am setting a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. I will never again pass by them. God will come and take that plumb line, that perfectly straight line, and he will set that in the midst of his people. Because a plumb line was not only used for construction. A plumb line was used to determine what should be torn down. What was out of plumb? What was no longer straight? And if it was no longer straight, it would be torn down. And God says, I'm coming to set a plumb line in the midst of my people. Kids, what is that plumb line? It is God's holy law. God is going to come in judgment and put his law, that perfect, straight, righteous standard, in the midst of the people. And what do you think will happen? All of their injustices will be revealed. All the places that they have not lived according to God's perfect, righteous, just standard. Behold, I am setting a plumb line in the midst of my people, and I will never pass by them again. The plumb line, the perfect standard of God's righteousness because the plumb line is impartial a plumb line judges everything it can judge this pulpit it can judge the baptismal font it can judge the table it can judge the walls it's, it's, it's impartial that's the way the plumb line of God's law 
comes into his people. It judges everyone. That's what verse 9 talks about. The high places of Isaac shall be made desolate. The sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid waste. I will rise against the house of Jeroboam with the sword. Even the priests are not safe. Even the king is not safe. Because God's holy, righteous standard will judge everyone. The king and the priests and the people. And it is at this vision, this vision of the impartial, righteous plumb line, that now Amaziah the priest speaks up and takes offense. Verse 10, Then Amaziah the priest of Bethel sent to Jeroboam king of Israel, saying, Amos has conspired against you in the midst of the house of Israel. The land is not able to bear his words. For thus Amos has said, Jeroboam shall die by the sword, and Israel must go into exile from his land. They could not stand to bear the word of this perfectly righteous, impartial standard. And so they say, verse 12, Amaziah says to Amos, O seer, go. Flee to the land of Judah. Go back where you came from. Eat your bread there. Do your work there. You want to talk to somebody? Talk to them. And prophesy there. But never again prophesy at Bethel. For this is the king's sanctuary. It is the temple of the kingdom. When that perfect, impartial standard is being applied, that's when they say, that's too much. Now you've gone too far. And we see, we see the same types of things happening in the church today. As long as the church says, you know, we should all try to be better people, we should all get along with each other, why can't we just show more love? Everyone agrees with that. Of course we should do that. But when the church says, we do that because there is one holy, righteous standard, the only word of God to which we must submit, that people say, oh no, that's too much. There are lots of ideas out there. There's lots of great books out there. Other wonderful religious texts. We say, no, there's one one righteous standard for everyone, for all the people. It's not a matter of your perspective or my perspective, but what does the Word of God say? Which is why Amos responds. <clears throat> Amos answers in verse 11, 14. I was no prophet, nor a prophet's son. He's saying, I didn't choose this. I was a herdsman and a dresser of sycamore figs. But the Lord took me from the flock, and the Lord said to me, Go prophesy to the people of Israel. Now, therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I'm not giving you my opinion, Amos says. I am coming to you with the word of the Lord, and this is what he says. The plumb line will be placed in the midst of the people. A plumb line that doesn't change. Its standard remains the same. The same word of God that spoke to Old Testament Israel, the same word of God that spoke to the disciples of the New Testament, is the same word of God that speaks to us today. The standard has not changed. We apply the word of God to our own situation, but the fundamental standards are the same. Our standard is not, how are we doing compared to others? The standard is not how does our church compare to this church. The standard is what do we do with regard to God's holy word. 
when we think of that righteous standard, that perfect plumb line, we say with the prophet, oh Lord God, please forgive. Oh Lord God, please cease. How can we stand? We are so small. We have no hope to measure up to that perfect righteous standard. No hope in ourselves. God's plumb line is too true, is too righteous, is too perfect. But the blessing is, we have someone who has stood in our place. We have someone who stands up for us. Jesus Christ, the righteous, the just, the one who was perfectly obedient in every way to the will of his Father, the one who completed all righteousness, the one who is true to plumb, no deviations. And it is that glorious Jesus Christ who takes, grants, and credits his perfection to our account. When God sees us, He sees us not as fallen, out of plumb, ready to be torn down, but He sees us as if we had been as obedient as Christ was. That's the beauty of the Gospel. Not only that God takes our sins away, but He sees us now as perfect, perfectly right, perfectly straight, perfectly just. That is what Jesus Christ has done for us. That is the call once again tonight. If you are trying to stand on your own merits against God's perfect plumb line, you have nothing to hope for except to be torn down. No, place your faith in Jesus Christ, the one who was perfectly righteous, perfectly obedient, and who grants and credits that righteousness to us. God sees us as if we had been as obedient as Christ. The prophet comes with warnings to the people of God, warnings that they might heed, warnings about locusts, warnings about fire, warnings about a plumb line in the midst of the people. We know left to themselves they would never stand, but God does give a word of hope at the end of the prophecy. In Amos chapter 9, we read this in verse 8. He says, Behold, the eyes of the Lord God are upon the sinful kingdom, and I will destroy it from the surface of the ground, except that I will not utterly destroy the house of Jacob. There would be a remnant that by the grace of God would be held on to. We read in verse 11, In that day I will raise up the booth of David that is fallen and repair its breaches and raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old, rebuilt true to plumb, rebuilt righteous in Jesus Christ before God. 
And he says at the very end of the, of the prophecy, verse 13, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes, him who sows the seed. The mountains shall drip sweet wine, and all the hills shall flow with it. I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel, and they shall rebuild the ruined cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink their wine. They shall make gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant them on their land, and they shall never again be uprooted out of the land that I have given them, says the Lord your God. God's final word of hope for those who would hear the warning, who would hear the call to, to, re, to uh, re reject the injustice around them and to flee to Jesus Christ, looking to his perfection, his righteousness, his justice as their only hope in that terrible day. And God would provide abundant blessing. Well, the same is true for us. When we flee to Jesus Christ, we know that he will watch over us, provide for us, tend us, keep us, rebuild us after the image of his son, that we might live in a way that brings glory to him. Amos, the prophet of God's justice. Let's join together in prayer. Lord our God, we do thank you for your word in the minor prophets, a word that speaks of who you are. You're a just God, you're a holy God, you're a righteous God, a word that warns us of who we are without you, those who would be destined for the locust and for the fire, those who cannot stand against the plumb line of your holy word. And so Lord God, once again tonight, we, we reject ourselves and flee to Jesus Christ. You provided the perfect sacrifice for sin, one who is truly holy and righteous. And we pray that in your grace, you would grant us that righteousness and that holiness. Look not upon our sin, O God, but look upon your Son, Jesus Christ, and see us in him. And as you have done so, O God, we pray that you would be true to your word and provide us with the blessings and provide us with the fulfillment of all of your promises. Hear our prayer for Jesus' sake. Amen.